0: This is Black Wall Street Chronicles, and we're back at it again. I hope you guys have a happy holidays. I hope you had a safe Thanksgiving with your family. I hope you was able to stay inside the COVID-19 pandemic is full force. They said that the cases are rising, so make sure you wash your hands and make sure that you eat healthy. And make sure that you meditate to keep your mind healthy, because you you know what they say, mind over body. Uh, before I get started, I have some announcements. Um, I am registered with Anchor.com, uh, so if you guys like the podcast, then I would like you guys to pay... Um, a ten dollars of uh, for subscription monthly all you got to do is go on to the link in anchor.com and you can do so it doesn't have to be the full ten dollars it could be 99 cents four ninety nine, 99 or 9.99 uh i'm this podcast is registered at imbd Uh, so if you go into IMB if you register with IMBD, you can actually go on there and you see my podcast. You'll see me, Jeffrey Frazier, as the, uh, the producer, the director, the writer, and editor of the whole episodes, and you can give my podcast a 10-star rating if you can. You You can also go to my, um... I am registered in Apple and Spotify and other various forms of podcast streaming services. You can also follow me a good pod. So if you have a good pod account, you can. there's actually a great social networking for podcasts. You can follow me there. Uh, you can also go to my um, Instagram, which is blackkage840. My Instagram is blackkage840. There you'll have my bios, which shows my Twitch account, my Facebook page, and my Twitter account. Now, that said, let's get started with this episode. In this episode, I'm going to talk about sex addiction. And also, on this episode, I'm going to talk about how the images of porn may be grooming all of society to be sexual deviants. And I also will be talking about revenge porn. So, let's get, I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to get started. Okay, I'm back, now I'm going to talk about Wikipedia's uh, definition of sex addiction. Okay, sexual addiction, also known as sex addiction. Is a state characterized by compulsive participation engagement in sexual activity, particularly sexual intercourse, despite negative consequences. Proponents of the of model for sexual addiction consider it to be one of, of several sex related disorders within hyposexual disorder. The term sexual dependence is also used to refer to people who report being unable to control their sexual urges, behaviors, or thoughts. Related or synonymous models of pathological sexual behavior includes hypersexuality, nymphomania and erectomania, Don Juanism, and paraphernalia-related disorders. The concept of sexual addiction is contentious. There is considerable debate among psychiatrists psychologists, sexologists, and other specialists whether compulsive sexual behavior constitutes an addiction and therefore is classification and possible diagnosis. Animal research has established that compulsive sexual behavior arises from the same transcriptional and epidemic mechanisms that mediate drug addiction in laboratory animals. However, as of 2018 sexual addiction is not a clinical diagnosis in either the DSMOICD medical classifications of diseases or medical disorders. Some argue that applying such concepts to normal behaviors such as sex can be problematic and suggest that applying medical models such as addition to human sexuality can serve to pathologicalize normal behavior and cause harm. The ICD-11 created new condition classification compulsive sexual behavior to cover a persistent pattern of failure to control intense repetitive sexual impulses the urges resulting in repetitive sexual behavior okay i learned something new apparently they have um Different types of sexual addiction. They have hyposexual disorder, sexual uh, don juanism and paraphernalia related disorders. So I'm going to look up hyposexual disorder. Hypersexual disorder is a pattern of behavior involving intense preoccupation with sexual fantasies, urges, and activities, leading to adverse consequences of clinically sufficient distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important function. It was proposed in 2010 for the inclusion in the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition, of the American Psychiatric Association. Mm. all right, so that's hyposexual disorder. Let's look up Don Juanism, Don Juan syndrome. It's a non-clinical term. Don Juan or Don Juan syndrome is a non-clinical term for the desire in a man to have sex on many different female partners. The name derives from Don Juan of opera and fiction. The term staturist is sometimes used as a synonym for Don Juanism. The term has been also referred to as the male equivalent of nymphomania in women. These terms no longer apply with any accuracy or psychological legal characteristics of psychological disorder. Psychiatrist called Jun believed that Don Juanism was an unconscious desire to man to seek his mother and every woman he acquired However, he didn't see the trait as entirely negative. John felt that positive access to Don Juanism included heroism, perseverance, and strength for wealth. John argues that related to the modern complex are homosexuality and Don Juanism, and sometimes also impotence. In homosexuality, the son's heterosexuality is tied to the mother in unconscious form. In Don Juanism, he unconsciously seeks his mother in every woman he meets. Because of the difference in sex, a son's mother complex does not appear in poor form. This is the reason why in every masculine mother complex side by side with a mother archetype, a significant role is played by the image of a man's sexual counterpart, the animal. One of Theodore Million's five narcissistic variations is the Numerous Narcissists, which includes historic features. Calling me on, the Don Juan of Casanova of a time is erotic and expeditionalist. Psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud explored the connections between a mother's fixation and a long series of love attachments in the first of his articles of Psychiatry of Love, while Aldo Ring published an article on the Juan just in 1922. Otto Finkel saw Don Juanism as a release to request for narcissistic supply, a proof of achievement. He also described what he called the Don Wands of Achievement, people compelled to free from one achievement to another in an unconscious but never-ending quest to overcome a conscious sense of guilt. Sander Frenzy stressed the fear of punishment in the syndrome linking it to the Oedipus complex. Contemporary psychoanalyst stresses the denial of psychic reality and avoidance of change in Don Juan pursuit of multiple females. Aspects of the character are examined by Mozart and Librettist Don Ponte in the opera Don Giovanni. Perhaps the best-known artistic work on the subject, to write their opera, Mozart and Don Ponte, are known to have consulted with the famous Libertine. Giacomo Casanova, usual historic example of Don Juanism. ever not conclusively con- established, it is possible that Casanova attended the premiere of the opera, which is unlikely understood by the audience to be about himself. Charles Rosen saw what he called the seductive physical power of Mozart's music as a link to 18th century libertarianism, political favor and Incent Romanticism, while being famous passages, philosopher Colgar, discusses Mozart's Mozart version of the Don Juan story. Albert Ka is also also written on the subject. While Jane Austen was fascinated by the character of Don Juan, I've seen nobody in stages with more interesting character than the compound of cruelty and lust. Anthony Power in his Casanova Chinese restaurant discusses Don Juan for Casanova. Don Juan merely liked power. He obviously did not know what sensuality was. Casanova on the end undoubtedly had his sensuous moments. On the fourth season, the chair app of Don Juan is held. Diane Chambers wrote a sexual history studies that it says Sam Malone is a perfect model for Don Juanism. Yeah, but it seems that these things have been dismissed. dismisses an addiction, however, it says that compulsive sexual behavior is the, okay, let's go back, I'm gonna read some psychiatry guides on um, sexual addiction, see what else turns up, I'm reading an article now from Psych Central. It is an article by Michael Herberkoff. He's a PhD in psychiatry, I believe. Uh, what is sexual addiction? Sexual addiction is best described as a progressive intimacy disorder characterized by the compulsive sexual thoughts and acts. Like all addictions, the negative impact on the addict on family members increases as the disorder progresses. Over time, the addict usually has to intensify the addictive behavior to achieve the same results. For some sex addicts, behavior does not progress beyond compulsory masturbation or extensive use of, 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 of uh, pornography or phone or computer sex services. For others, addiction can involve illegal activities such as exhibitionism, obscene phone calls, child molestation, or rape. Sex addicts don't necessarily become sex offenders. Moreover, not all sex offenders are sex addicts. Roughly 55% of convicted sex offenders can be considered sex addicts. About 71% of child molesters are sex addicts. For many, their problems are solved for fear that imprisonment is the only way to ensure society's safety against them. Society accepted that sex offenders act as not for sexual gratification, but rather out of the disturbed need for power, dominance, control, or revenge, or perverted expression of anger. More recently, a horrendous of brain changes and brain reward associated with sexual behavior and led us to understand that there are more powerful sexual drives that motivate sex offenses. National Council of Sexual Addiction and Compassivity Comparis- have defined sexual addiction as engaging in persistent and escalating patterns of sexual behavior acted out describing increase of negative consequences to self and others. In other words, a sex addict will continue to engage in certain sexual behaviors despite facing potential health risks, financial problems, shattered relationships, or even the rest. The Diagnosis Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Disorders Volume 4 describes sex addiction under the category Sexual Disorders not otherwise specified, is a distress about a pattern of repeating sexual relationships evolving a succession of lovers who are experienced by the individual only as things need to be used. According to the manual, sex addiction also involves compulsive searching for multiple partners, compulsive fixation on an attainable partner, compulsive masturbation, compulsive love relationships, and compulsive sexuality in a relationship. Increased sexual provocation as a society has spawned an increase in the number of individuals engaging in a variety of unusually illicit sexual practices, such as phone sex, the use of escort services, and computer pornography. More of these individuals and their partners are seeking help. The same compulsive behavior that characterizes other addictions, also typical of sex addiction, but with other addictions, including drugs, alcohol, and gambling dependency. Evolve substances or activities with no necessary relationship to our survival. For example, we can live long or happy lives without ever gambling, taking illicit drugs, or drinking alcohol. Even the most genetically vulnerable person will function well whatever have to be exposed to or provoked by these addictive activities. Sexual activity is different. Like eating, having sex is necessary for human survival. Although some people are celibate, some not by choice, while others choose celibacy for cultural or religious reasons. Healthy humans have a strong desire for sex. In fact, lack of interest or low interest in sex can incite a medical problem or psychiatric illness. This is a good article. And it goes into what, and I'm talking about how pornography and other forms of entertainment like phone sex and computer porn may be linked to uh, people um, getting involved in sexual addiction seems there's more articles on the subject What causes sexual addiction? Another article by Michael Herberkoff. Why some people and not others develop addiction to sex is poorly understood. Possibly, some biochemically or normally or other brain changes increase risks. The fact that antidepressants and other psychotropic medications have been proven effective in treating some people with sex addiction suggests that this might be the case. Studies indicate that food, abuse, drugs, and sexual interests share a common pathway within our brain, survival, and reward systems. This pathway lead to the error of being responsible for our higher thinking, rational thought, and judgment. The brain tells the sex addict that having illicit sex is good the same way it tells others that food is good when they are hungry. These brain changes translate into sex pre with sex and inclusion of other interests compulsive sexual behavior despite negative consequences and failed attempts to limit or terminate sexual behavior. The biochemical model helps explain why competent, intelligent, goal-directed people can be so easily sidetracked by drugs and sex. The idea that on a daily basis, a successful mother, a father, a doctor, or business person can drop everything to think about sex, scheme about sex, identify sexual opportunities, and take advantage of these seems unbelievable. How can this be? The addicted brain fools the body by producing intense biochemical rewards for this self-destructive behavior. People addicted to sex get a sense of euphoria from it seems to go beyond that reported by most people. The sexual experience is not about intimacy. Addicts use sexual activity to seek pleasure, avoid unpleasant feelings, or respond to outside stressors such as work difficulties or interpersonal problems. This is not how unlike an alcoholic uses alcohol. In both instances, any reward gained by the experience soon gives way to guilt, remorse, and promise to change. Research also that found that sex addicts often come from dysfunctional families are more likely than non-sex addicts to be abused. One study found that 82% of sex addicts reported being sexually abused as children. Sex addicts often describe their parents as rigid, distant, and uncaring. These families, including addicts themselves, are more likely to be substance abusers. One study found that 80% of recovering sex addicts report some type of addiction in their families or origin. Symptoms of Sexual Addiction While there is no official diagnosis for sex addictions. clinics and researchers have been attempted to define the disorder using criteria based on chemical dependency literature. They include frequently engaging in more sex with partners than intended, being preoccupied with a persistently craving sex wanted to cut down and unsuccessfully attempted to limit sexual activity. Thinking to sex to the detriment of others are uh, continually engages in excessive sexual practices despite desire to stop. Spending considerable time in activities related to sex such as cruising for partners spending hours online visiting pornographic websites. Neglecting obligations such as work, school, and family in pursuit of sex. Continuing to engage in his sexual behavior despite negative consequences, such as broken relationships or potential health risks. Escalating the scope of frequency in sexual activity to achieve the desired effect, such as frequent visits to prostitutes or more sex partners. Fear irritable when able to engage in desired behavior. You may have a sex addiction problem if you added three or more of the above criteria. More generally, sex addicts tend to organize their world around sex in the same way that cocaine addicts around organize around their cocaine. The goal in interacting with people in social situations is obtaining sexual pleasure. In 2010, the American Psychiatric Association issued its preliminary criteria hyposexual disorder, which may be a possible alternative definition, diagnostic label for sex addiction. You can find the uh, symptoms of hypersexual disorder here. Okay. Okay. I like this uh, Psych Central because it's giving a more... Um, it's giving us a more uh, clearer definition. When I went to Wikipedia, it seems to be all over the place, but it seems to give us a more clear definition what hypersexual disorder is. This article is written by John M. Gruhall, psychiatrist. In 2010, the American Psychiatric Association released draft preliminary criteria that may define sex addiction, which they formally called hypersexual disorder. Hypersexual disorder can be diagnosed in adults 18 years or old older according to the draft criteria. Symptoms of hyposexual disorder are over a period of at least 6 months a person experiments recurrent and intense sexual fantasies, sexual urges or sexual behavior associated with four or more of the following criteria. Excessive time is concealed by sexual fantasies and urges by planning for and engaging in sexual behavior. Repeatedly engaging these sexual fantasies urges and behavior in response to and mood states. Repeating engaging in sexual fantasies urges and behavior to response to sexual life events. Repetitive but unsuccessful efforts to control and significantly reduce these sexual fantasies urges and behavior. Repetitively engage in the sexual behavior while disregarding the risk for physical or emotional harm to self and others. The person experienced clinically significant personal distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important orders of functioning associated with the frequency and intensity of these sexual fantasies, urges, and behavior. These sexual fantasies, urges, and behavior are not due to direct psychological effects or drugs or medication to the manic episodes. Specify if masturbation, pornography, sexual behavior with consenting adults, cyber sex, telephone sex, strip clubs, other. Yeah, okay. let's see if there's any treatment for sexual addiction uh, this also art- this, uh, article also is uh, from Michael Herbercroft uh, treatment for sexual addiction if you're seeking help for sex addiction there are a number of treatment programs available best known programs in the United States include Sarah Tuscan and Arizona Tulane University program in New Orleans and Manager Clinic program in Topeka, Kan. Most of these programs oppose sex addiction with the same strategies that have proven effective in treating chemical dependency. Since sex addiction is more common among substance abusers, many chemical dependency programs offer a sexual addiction program or copent. Here are some questions used to ask when working for a Group sex addiction treatment program what percentage of the therapy program will be focused on sexual addiction and compulsiveness what other groups that address these issues what is the staff experiencing facilitating the groups or program for sexual addiction and compulsiveness is there a program based on the 12 plus philosophy and there are appropriate 12 step meetings to attend while in treatment In addition, look for these components in the treatment program, a separate group that allows couples to work on the more intimate issues of their relationship, education about sexual addiction and compulsiveness that clarifies misconceptions about the highly misunderstood set of behaviors. A disclosure process facilitated by trained staff who understand the vulnerability of each family member and make appropriate decisions about which family members need to hear what information about the specific symptoms and behaviors. This is essential to developing a therapeutic relationship between patient and family. Time for family members or spouses to receive support in processing and debriefing information that the individual discloses during treatment. They focus on the health risks involved for both partners and show how to address these in a continued health care plan. Unlike drug or alcohol treatment, the goal of sexual addiction treatment is not lifelong abstinence, but rather a termination of compulsive, unhealthy sexual behavior. Since it's very difficult for a sex addict to distinguish between healthy and unhealthy sex, Programs usually encourage abstinence from any sexual behavior during the first phase of treatment. Many programs suggest a 60 to 90 day period off of self-imposed abstinence. This enables you, along with the treatment team, to understand the emotional cues and circumstances that trigger sexual thought and compulsive sexual behavior. The treatment will focus on two main issues. The first is the logical concerns of separating you from homosexual behavior in the same way drugs addicts need to be separated from drugs. Accomplishing this might require inpatient or residential treatment for several weeks. An inpatient setting protects you from the abundance of sexual images and specific situations of people that trigger compulsive sexual behavior. It is simply harder to relapse in a structured and tightly controlled setting. Sometimes you can succeed in an outpatient setting with adequate social and family spiritual support. The second and most difficult issue involves facing the guilt, shame, and depression associated with this illness. It takes trust and time with a competent therapist to work through these emotions. If you are very depressed, the best treatment might be in an inpatient residential setting where professionals can monitor and properly manage your symptoms. So that is the treatment for sexual addiction. I hope you're listening very carefully. Uh, maybe that you may be addicted to sex and this treatment may be helpful to you. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about the growing increase of revenge porn during the, COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic. And how it goes into problems with sexual addiction and the problems with uh, people abusing their power. Please hold on for just a second. I'll be right back. This is Black Wall Street Chronicles and we're back at it again. Uh, Thank you guys for waiting, Um, I'm back. Now we're going to get right to the next subject of this uh, particular episode, I'm going to talk about revenge porn, alright the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read this article on revenge porn. And then I'm going to talk about what revenge porn really is. The true definition. This article is from the Washington Post. Uh, the article is titled. How the pandemic made revenge porn even worse. Worst. And it has been written by Jessica M. Goldstein. In the middle of March. Annie Sophilia, Sifel- and her colleagues at Victim's right law firm, California. Goldper vacated the offices in Brooklyn Heights and began to work from home indefinitely. The firm serves survivals of sexual violence, including victims of non-consensual pornography, which is sometimes called revenge porn, based on the notion that perpetrators are jilted men sharing graphic images in this excess as a form of retaliation. Many of those who work at the firm, including Sophia and founder Carrie Goldberg have been victims of such crimes themselves. Soon after they settled into their Mason home offices it hit them. It only took us one day before we all looked at each other and said this is going to be bad, Sophilia said. With vast numbers of American isolated at home, and their advice is 24-7 against a backdrop of escalating unemployment and rampant stress, the climate is ripe for tech abuse. Just to stay at home this had jeopardized the safety of people trapped with physically abusive partners. This new social distancing way of life may be will be victims of non-consensual pornography are more vulnerable to attack. So Cephilia braced herself for an onslaught of cases. Within days it arrived. All the work in front of us was helping people who are in immediate crisis, and that looked like new victims of non-consensual pornography and other types of tax abuse. It's not just the victims are more vulnerable, she said. Abusers are going to abuse. So fully said there's a pandemic raging or not, and abusers with time on their hands and nothing to lose, oftentimes they are the hardest to defeat and hardest to escape. Even before COVID 19, non consensual pornography NCP, was mar- remarkably commonplace. One in 25 Americans have been a victim of threats or posted nearly nude or new images without their permission, according to the Center of Innovative Public Health Research. Recent years have seen a few headlining cases including the former rep, Katie Hill, whose career was derailed as well in a scandal that involved non-consensual pornography, along with her affair with a subordinate. She resigned after li- explicit photographs for a female staffer whom, with whom she and her then-husband were engaged in a relationship were published by conservative website Red State in the Daily Mail newspaper. While victims face career-upending stigma, perpetrators rarely face meaningful consequences, even when they are caught. In August, a 19-year-old who admitted to threatening distributing revenge porn, won a Democratic party, and is now the party's candidate for a seat of Kansas House of Representatives. Why, why the hashtag me to move it's not saying anything th- about that. I don't understand. The voluntary exchange of intimate content was also nearly universal practice pre-pandemic. In the 2015 survey, more than four out of five adults said they send or receive el- explicit texts and photos. That non-consensual sharing can be totally lovely, said Dean centron the League Scholar and Offer was awarded a 2019 McArthur's Foundation Genius Grant for a work on digital privacy and cyber harassment. We share for this socially valuable reason, to create trust within each other. We shouldn't lose that recognition that the sharing is part of love and intimacy. As ratelessly as six years ago. Only three states have revenge porn laws. Since then, they have been enacted in 46 states in the District of Columbia. On one hand, we have made an incredible amount of progress at Centrum. Does that mean we have solved the problem? Of course not. As Sylvarez explained, modern domestic violence also almost always involved a form of tech abuse. The Venn diagram overlaps almost completely. She heard from many women who initially used self-quarantine to escape abusive relationship. They were able to go in the highland and work remotely. Shortly after quarantine, they started getting threats from the abuser. If they didn't reconcile or get back together, the abuser would show their intimate photos on their job. And her job is the only lifeline. The only thing provided her with freedom and safety. If that avenue of harassment is not productive, Often, fellow says, players are really supportive for victims in this situation. Abusers were impersonating their victim on social media, site, and dating apps and exposed their explicit content through these channels. Cephalia has also heard from clients who are being attacked again by abusers they haven't heard from a long time. The victim felt like they were from out from under it, and the offender showed back up again, and I don't think it's a coincidence that it was time with COVID. Before the coronavirus pandemic hit, the Washington Post began speaking with two of the women who were alleged victims of NCP. One of these women is expected to see her case closed by now. Instead, she has yet to be disposed because of COVID-related delays. Others saw the first half of her senior year of her high school derailed by an intimate video taken without her knowledge and spread without her consent. Because of the pandemic prompted her school to close, she continued to struggle with depression compounded by the isolation at home learning. Their stories speak to the aftermath of being a victim of this particular crime. The often long, frustrating path to seeking justice and how the time passes, their trauma evolves but endures. They both understand what it's like to live with civilian describes as a constant looming threat of being violated anew whenever their abuser feels like it. It robs people of all sense of normalcy and all the peace of mind. Caitlyn C doesn't know how the photos got online. The post does not identify victims of sexual misconduct with their consent. The subject agreed to the use of the first name and NAS initial for the story. She says she sent them only to her ex-boyfriend when they're not together, and he told her he doesn't know. But in March 2018, 14 intimate pictures of her were posted on and IB, an anonymous image board notorious for trafficking and non-consensual pornography. Her breasts, rear, air, and genitals were exposed in some of the protos, and others her face were visible. Ours was common practice on the site. All the pictures on her thread shed her name and her old time. Where her parents still live. Caitlin got the lawyer, was able to have the photos taken down within a week. The Dutch police seized Anna's IB service later that year, eventually, setting the shot down. But Caitlin couldn't stop thinking about the number of people who have been, been seeing the folders in that time. Who knows how many men saved them on their computers. I never know how many people will see them if I ever stop, she told the to- post by phone. By subpoenaing the internet provider, Caitlin's attorney obtained the username and address of the individual who posted the photos. It belonged to a math teacher and tennis coach from Caitlin's former high school. I just felt my stomach drop, she said. Caitlin was already struggling with the knowledge that her hometown had been listed with her pictures. Anytime she was home visiting family, I was walking around feeling like every guy who stared at me and seen me naked with her hometown police are understanding, she said. But the teacher lived in a different county, so her case got kicked to that apartment, which declined to pursue criminal charges. Caitlin said the decision was justified to buy her saying, Maybe someone else was using his Wi-Fi. wifi. Unsatisfied with the outcome, worried about the safety of other women, Caitlin filed a civil suit claim in isolation and state's revenge porn st- statute evasion of privacy and emotional distress. Alleging that the sole purpose of posting the picture online was a humiliating harasser. The lawsuit is ongoing. The teacher has denied posting the photos in its official response to the complaint. Some days, Caitlin stayed home for work because she felt like she couldn't function. Sometimes when she wanted to leave an apartment or in her home, she would get nervous thinking about being alone and having attention on her so she would make plans to stay in. Sometimes if a man spoke to her or looked in the her, so the way, she would have a panic attack. Caitlin was slated to give her a disposition in March, but because of the pandemic-related delays, everything's been on hold. It's been about two years since she found out about the photos. It still affects me every day, she said. I think it's probably something that I'm going to deal with for the rest of my life. Researchers indicate that victims of non consensual pornography experience similar trauma to sexual assault survivors. Yet, even with NCP laws in place, Ophelia said, law enforcement is not equipped to understand that these new types of crimes. Meanwhile, the message boards and other platforms that are often used to distribute revenge porn are generally protected from legal liability from user protected content by a 1996 law. Section 20. 20- 30 of the Communications Decency Act. To fulfill you, she says that they no incentive to be responsive to survivors. Victims are left holding their trauma and abusers know that. Young women in particular are victimized with the greatest frequency. According to data from Cyber Civil Rights Initiative, 90% of the non-consensual pornography victims are women. If you look at Revenge Porn site, 98% of the people featured a woman, says Mary Ann Franks, President and Legislative and Tech Policy Director of the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative. For a long time the theory was, while women are sending a lot more new photos than men are, not true. Men send more new photos than women do. Revenge porn sites don't traffic in men's pictures. On top of being more likely to be victims of this crime, women also face greater social and cultural retribution than men do than taking these four types of photos at all. Should their features be made public, women are likely than men to be victim blamed according to results from the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative. The first reaction is, why did she take that photo, says Sophia. The first reaction is not, would not someone do that to her? what scans as a uniquely modern abuse is really a violation of the most traditional kind a woman wants control over her body and a man takes it away a woman whose top google pit is a naked photo can struggle to find and keep employment and start or maintain new relationships if her photo is posted with any identifying information such as an address of physical safety is jeopardized as well a 2014 study court authorized by Centron and Fanks found more than 50% of survivors' full names and links to their social media profiles were posted with their naked photos of revenge porn sites, as were 20% of survivors' email address and phone numbers. Anyone with barely a bar of Wi Fi can frankly access pornography in astounding rarity. Yet there be, continues to be a deriving marketplace for images obtained and disseminated against the will of the subject. The fact that this is what people want, the kind of friction that you get from this is that she didn't consent. That's about as close as you can get to the articulation of rape culture," said Franks. That's literally the saying, what you should be getting off is the fact that she didn't say yes to this. Emma Denny says she still hasn't seen the video. She knows it's basic contour. She knows that it's naked. She knows you can't see her face, but you can see her entire backside. She was having sex with a boyfriend, looking away from him when she turned around, he was holding up a on filming her. The post is using Denny's full name without her permission, and she wanted to speak out about her experience. With her permission, they have been dating for over a year since March 12, 2018. They were both high school sophomores in Bishop, California, when Denny moved from Rosa, Colorado the previous fall. They would fight and break up and get back together. This was a very controlling person, Denny 18 says now. He wouldn't let me cut my hair, he wouldn't let me wear certain things. It was my first love, she says, but I was afraid of him. She told him that it wasn't okay to make a video and he needed to stop she remembers him saying i'm going to save it for my personal keeping and i'm going to delete it later and obvious he didn't delete it later then he says because he sent it to an entire football team the boy was charged as a juvenile which is why the post does not identify him by name Jenny found about the video from a friend whose boyfriend was on the football team the post concerned the existence of the video with classmate who has also seen it Denny says that after telling the football coach who told the principal, the boy was suspended for school for a week. He was kicked off the football team and his teammates went was rallying, ultimately unsuccessfully for his reinstatement. Denny and mother also went to the police. The boy received six months probation during which time he was ordered to stay away from Emma Denny. Do not contact by any except for what is required by school or work, according to the letter from the probation office to Denny's family. When contacted by the Frost, the poorest father said, One, my son is a minor. Two, he was not found guilty of anything. Three, the only thing I know is they're suing us for money. Denny's attorney, Benny Kelly, has filed a lawsuit against the boy and his family for cyber exploitation, among other claims. I really bad trust issues since then. She felt frustrated by posting this dismayed this video and rattled by the feeling that everyone in school has succeeded or heard about it. I felt like they thought I was a different person. I felt like they saw me as maybe, I don't know, a whore or a slut, even though that's not who I am. I've got a lot of anger, said Julie Hemmen, Denny's mother. I feel devastated by my daughter having to go through this. I wish I could put my arms around her and protect her from this happening. But obviously, I'm not able to. I feel helpless. Before the explicit video was sharing among her classmates, Denny and her ex-boyfriend had nearly identical class schedules. After she said that seeing him make her feel sick, and she did not want to spend her day surrounded by football players calling her a snitch, it kind of sucked right after because everybody hated me. She said everybody thought I was a bad guy for actually sticking up for myself, when that entire relationship I was never able to. <sighs> Before the COVID-19 crisis ended in-person classes, the principal recommended she rearrange her schedule, and she was initially construed why she was the one who had to change her courses because he was the one to going to be punished. The only class they still had together because it was offered just once a day was advanced digital images. And Minch March school closed down because of a staggered graduation schedule. Denny didn't see him at commencement either. She said that she was more depressed staying at home, isolated from her friends with nothing to occupy her mind. She has decided to move on with her life, taking a gap semester to see through what she hopes is the end of the pandemic shutdowns before attending a trade school in Southern California with a cos- cosmetology program. Though she is trying to stay focused on her future, the trauma is still going to be stuck with me. I feel that since it was my senior year at high school, it ruined it for me for sure, she said. The whole entire incident just ruined everything. Most people have a perfect senior year and I didn't get to experience that. I would just stay in my room and require a pause upon hours. Even though I was on medication at the time, I felt like it was less than enough. My friends even told me that I wasn't the same. I wouldn't eat. It was just difficult because I wanted to be happy. Em- Emma, but I just couldn't. I feel sorry for Miss Emma. Uh, I wish her the best. Uh, that sounds crazy. Yeah. It's also crazy that the whole school turned on her because the guy that she was with was a star football team. Even a woman, too. I guess this was what rape culture, this is what, you know, a feminist is talking about. This is interesting. So I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to close the show off with my thoughts. And how I feel that, you know, pornography is basically the cause of all this uh, sex addiction and all this revenge porn. Thank you, and I'll be right back. This is Black Wall Street Chronicles, and we're back at it again. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm closing my show off about sex addiction and uh, revenge porn. I think that pornography is basically responsible for all the sex addiction and increase of revenge porn. Because we have access to sexual images on a constant pace, free. Inaccessible is causing people to come extremely addicted to sex. is becoming people be- becoming sexual addic- uh, deviants, and is also causing a. It's created a new crime called revenge porn. I remember the great flappinging leak that happened a couple of years ago, where Jennifer Lawrence and Megan Good and all of the actresses had all of their news being posted on the internet. That was actually very sad. I also know of uh, this adult star by the name of Lisa Ann saying that, you know, that people, you know, teenagers and pre-teens of younger age is getting access to pornography. And there's a movie, a controversial movie called Cuties on Netflix that I talked about a couple of episodes earlier. And that shows images of kids being groomed. 11-year-olds uh, being groomed and af- exposed to sexual images. There was an adult star that had recently committed suicide uh, by the name of August Ames. I think that's what her name is. She committed suicide because she was um, removed from the adult entertainment industry because she didn't want to do a sex scene with men that was having sex with other men. we have a lot of people out here struggling for depression and with the COVID-19 pandemic and everybody out of work the abusers is gonna be out here they're gonna be able to prey upon people and they're gonna be able to get away with it so I want everybody to stay safe I want women and men to try to prevent themselves from being filmed on their cell phones because you don't want their information to get hacked to be sent out here. Uh, now, thank you very much for listening to my podcast. Uh, uh, my next podcast episode will be about the Nexium sex cult. Uh, I'm going to look at the documentary and I'm going to read them. I'm going to look at the documentary and I'm going to read up on the sex cult and I'm going to do a little podcast dissertation about it next week. Who knows? It may be in a couple of days, you know, I've uh, took a couple of days off because of the holidays. So I owe you an extra episode, guys. And again, please, if you can, I want you to donate uh, $10 a month on my anchor account. Uh, It will be in my link uh, when I send it out. Uh, Thank you very much, and I want you guys to have a pleasant day. God bless.